0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.
1: Hello, Deep State Radio listeners. We hope you are enjoying your holidays and are staying safe. This week, we are bringing you a few of our most listened to episodes of the year. On January 6th, President Trump gave a speech to his supporters and encouraged them to march on the Capitol to stop the certification of the election results. What ensued was a full-on insurrection, the likes of which we had never seen. While the Capitol was being breached, the president stood by and did nothing. Only several hours later, after one person died and many more were injured, did the president finally step in and tell his supporters to go home. While this did nothing to ultimately stop the certification, it left a stain on our democracy, and to this day, Little has been done in the way of bringing those responsible to justice. Listen as hosts David Rothkoff, David Sanger, Rosa Brooks, Corey Shockey, and Mika Oyang discuss this dark day.
2: 9, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I know you've all been gathered around your computers and your phones waiting to be able to download this, given everything that's happened in the past few days and we are joined by a core group of our uh, best friends and advisors here we have in washington dc well in alexandria virginia we have rosa brooks of georgetown law school hi rosa hi david and also in that general vicinity we have mika Oyang of third way hi mika
3: hello david
2: And I think in that general vicinity, we have David Sanger. Where are you, David
4: Sanger? I I have returned to the armed camp that we call our capital.
2: Yeah. Uh, The the armed camp. And where would we find Corey Shockey these days? You can find Corey almost any place. Yeah. <laughs> well, let let her answer that, David. Um, before we get into more discussions of mansplaining and the patriarchy, go on, Corey. Where are you? A
0: dusty little cow town of Glen Ellen, California.
2: Nice. Very, very nice. The further away from D.C. the better. So, you know, I've had oh, not to make light of the events of the past couple of weeks, but I have had, I would say, half a dozen emails from deep state radio. Aficionados, listeners, longtime listeners, all of which have asked that I ask the same question, which is, Rosa, is this a constitutional crisis?
5: <laughs> um, I'd say we're you know asymptotic I mean the nature of the constitutional crisis, David, is that until we actually have a civil war, we we edge asymptotically ever closer without actually getting to it. Um, But we're, you know, that that asymptote is sort of right down there, uh, nearly touching the x axis. And last week, I would say it briefly touched the x axis before slightly rebounding. So I don't know, I think I still think this is sort of more semantics than anything else. You know, um, it doesn't matter. It's it's really irrelevant whether we call it a constitutional crisis. It's a crisis. Um, It's a crisis that that absent the actual outbreak of civil war, et cetera, et cetera, is a crisis that is not, not disallowed by the terms of our constitution in a clear way, which to me makes the constitution something of a crisis for the modern age. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I don't mean to be splitting hairs because I think it is a crisis. I just think that's kind of the wrong question.
2: Uh, no, it's true, but you know these are our loyal listeners, and they've been listening for years. Do you say we're not quite at one yet? <laughs> and uh, they wanted to know what you thought. I'm
5: giving them a crisis. I gave them a really good crisis. They should just be happy with the crisis. They don't need to attach the Constitution to it.
2: Okay. I well, would argue
5: that it was an a well. constitutional crisis. Yes. yes, thank you. That that okay. That is, I will accept that as a friendly amendment. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, but before we came on the air, um, uh, Corey also had a view on this uh, and on the efforts that Rosa and her group had been making uh, to look at this kind of thing. Corey, do you want to talk about that?
0: Yes. Uh, About eight or nine months ago, uh, our own excellent Rosa Brooks started a transition integrity project to try and anticipate. Uh, potential challenges to a peaceful transition of power uh, and to organize uh, civil society groups, thinkers, people like those of us on this podcast and our listeners to be aware and to think in advance about what appropriate constitutional and civil actions are possible and i have to say all this last week rosa took so much heat for this in the fall with people claiming that she was uh trying to uh stir up trouble or was a danger or was and she has been absolutely validated by the president's behavior not just in the last week but in the last few months so everyone who criticized the Transition Integrity Project and Dr. Brooks, you should feel free to apologize to her right now.
5: Or just give me money. <laughs> well, David, could I
4: take the other side of this here for a minute? Because I think there was something completely misbegotten by Rose's project, which is she didn't actually imagine how bad it could get. <laughs> okay? Like, of all the scenarios we ran through, and I, I Read many of the scenarios that she she wrote about and so forth. I didn't read one in which people go and burn things in the Capitol and knock through windows for the first time since the War of 1812. So Rosa, what was the matter with your
5: group? Really, very fair point, David. We are just a bunch of of starry-eyed optimists. And you know.
2: <laughs> as, as we Rosa, can
3: been. I ask in your group, did you have any people who had um, whose families? had fled previous political violence. Cause I gotta say as someone whose family had to uh, left China because of the cultural revolution I kind of thought that this might be a possibility. Um, and I think it's sort of very hard to imagine when you yeah. are an American and grow up with the peaceful transfers of power that we have that yeah. in fact, it can get to that point of um, yeah. No, you know, well, and, you know, uh, no,
5: absolutely. I, I mean, I, I... Agree with you, and and I don't know the answer to your question, Mika, because it's not something we were asking people. Particularly, we did have a number of people who study political violence um, cross culturally, who were who were part of the discussions and the exercises. Um, and it's something that I I in my own past have done uh, a fair amount of studying and working in societies in which there have been a descent into uh, mass violence, mass atrocities, and and I. I think that is part of what shaped my my uh, own tendency to err on the side of being more paranoid than most people at any given room I'm in. Um, you know, it's the sense that nobody ever thinks it can happen here, um, yeah. but and then it happens. You know, that the Rwandans didn't think it was going to happen there. The Bosnians didn't think it was going to happen there. Um, and when you see the many situations in which people didn't think it could happen and then it happened, you start not trusting the discourse that says that could never happen here. Um, I will say though, one, you know, one thing that it's probably worth <laughs> saying about the Transition Integrity Projects exercises is that we weren't trying to imagine how bad it could get. In fact, you know, we were trying to f- see, we were trying to explore some of the what-ifs and in Virtually every exercise. When things got worse than we would ever want them to get, we kind of stopped because it seemed like just pure masochism at that point to say, "Well, you know, we've already got you know street level violence and constitutional crisis in our in our exercises. Um, how much worse could it get?" seemed seemed you know like just a form of self flagellation. Uh, it it got bad enough that it was bad enough. Um, and I think there, but, but I think there was a sort of clear sense in, in many of, from any of the participants of, whoa, if it, if in our exercises, things could go that wrong that quickly, how much more wrong might they go if we kind of continued to play this out and we didn't. So, so I, I think what we have seen in the last week is, is just, is, should be an incredibly powerful reminder to, to all of us that all the things you think can happen absolutely could happen. And we were talking about this right before we, we started recording. Um, it could have been much, much worse. You know, that, 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 the, the mob in the Capitol was minutes away from potentially doing things like taking hostages. Um, if that had happened, this could have turned into a total bloodbath. I mean, five people dead is, is already five people too many, but, but, it was, in some ways, luck that kept it from being a whole lot worse uh, than it actually was. And, and, you know, we're not out of the woods yet.
2: Well, I want to come back to that and I want to have a discussion about what do we do next. But I want to have one last question in terms of reactions to the week. And I, I, Mika, you worked on the Hill for three years. You walked through those corridors. You watched this happen. What was your reaction watching it happen?
3: Yeah, I actually, I worked on the Hill for 12 years, but three oh, of those were actually in the Capitol building. So, you know, I I found it terrifying. Um, and, you know, I'm somebody who has always believed in the Capitol Police's ability to protect us from people. I have worked in the Capitol when, or in, on the Capitol complex when the Tea Party stormed the Hill and they were, you know, um, you know, waving knives through the slots of the mail you know, the, the mail slots and the doors and they spit on John Lewis. Um, I've worked in the Capitol when it's been evacuated for invasions into airspace and scandals, you know, and, and crises due to ricin and anthrax, I have been, you know, evacuated into the tunnels. Um, but I've never been told, grab the chemical hoods. I've never been barricaded into a room by the Capitol police because there were people on the other side banging down the doors, trying to get in with you know murderous intent. Um, it was, to me, terrifying. And I haven't fully processed it. And I really worry for my friends and former colleagues and the members of Congress that I've worked with for what they have to deal with when they go to work every day. Um, knowing that some of those Capitol Police took selfies and didn't actually Protect them. There were some incredible examples of bravery, including the one African American officer who, at risk to his own life, you know, provoked the protesters and led them away from the Senate chamber. But it's really scary to know how porous that that security perimeter is. And I, um, I understand why the members are furious at this. I still think it's scary. And I, you know, I've worked in the Capitol when gunmen have burst in. It's um, it, it's this is worse than anything I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot.
2: OK, so I, I guess the question then becomes, what should we do about this? The United States House of Representatives has embraced a plan outlined by Speaker Pelosi in which they're giving Vice President Pence 24 hours to invoke the 25th Amendment, which he won't do. And then on Wednesday, they're going to vote on impeachment. Um, Some on the Republican side of the House have said, oh, this will only inflame matters further. On the Democratic side, and some Republicans have said, no, there has to be accountability, particularly in a matter of this sort. So I'd like to go around to each of you and talk about what you think ought to happen next. I'll start with Corey. Uh,
0: I wish the president would resign. I think that would be the honorable, the thing of integrity to do. But as Rosa pointed out in February of 2016, uh, what all of us were getting wrong about Donald Trump was believing he could be shamed into behaving consistent with the norms of democracy in America. So if the president won't resign, I would love to see the vice president whose life was threatened by this mob invoke the 25th Amendment um, and it puts the resignation of cabinet officers in the last week in a slightly different light uh, if they, uh, because they now are not in a position to remove the president from office as uh, members of the cabinet. But I agree that that's unlikely to happen. Uh, and I believe that the House should pass the resolution calling for the 25th Amendment and get everybody on record in the the House of Representatives about who's willing to support the removal of office of a president who uh, incited a mob to violence against the Congress during the uh, acknowledgement of the electoral victory of his opponent because uh, everybody should have to cast a vote on that and then Congress should impeach the president because I, it's, there's no precedent to a president uh, inciting mob violence to prevent his removal from office. Uh, he should be impeached, he should be tried, he should be convicted and I agree with the judgment that if the Supreme Court justice could be um, could be confirmed by the Senate in eight days, then uh, President Impe- the president's impeachment ought to be able to be tried on so clear cut a factual case as this and a single, um, a single charge that ought to be possible. Cause this is, this is unprecedentedly bad and dangerous and we won't saying, let's pretend this didn't happen now we need to heal that healing will be impossible without accountability.
2: David, you know I, 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 don't, I don't want to put you in a bad position because you're a journalist, you're not supposed to you know, sort of take a stand on these things, but you may if you want, or talk a little bit about what you're hearing. Sure, so um,
4: first on the previous one we had about uh, what happened on the Hill itself, I do think that at part of, as part of this whole um, coming to terms with the era, We do need a 9-11-ish kind of of commission about how this happened, because just the failure of communication among this many law enforcement groups at a moment when it was pretty clear to anybody reading the web that uh, there was gonna be a big threat on Capitol Hill is worthy of something. I mean, here we are, just about 20 years after 9-11, after endless studies of not connecting the dots, and we have not connected the dots, not just on this one, but really on this one. On the question that you raised, um, when I hear Republicans saying, oh, no, shouldn't do this, just a moment of national unity, what I, I think the translation is, is don't make me cast a vote on this, just as Corey just suggested, um because uh they're betting that two years from now the shock and horror of all this will be will have faded it won't be forgotten and they'll be able on re-election efforts to try to pretend that they're on both sides of this so i think making people cast a vote is really really important here it's actually not at this point about donald trump he's leaving office one way or another in nine days from the time that we uh, are all talking here. But it is about the United States setting boundaries about what's acceptable and what's not. And whether that you accomplish that through the 25th Amendment, you accomplish that through an impeachment, where you make people vote on it, you accomplish it through a trial where you present evidence. It's just a question of resolving what is beyond the pale. Because if you don't, history suggests people will push the boundary further. You
2: know, Rosa, one of the things that's interesting about this is that Joe Biden, uh, who has been very cautious in his language about holding Trump accountable, has undergone a kind of a sea change in the past few days. Uh, And he said that he's used very strong language about the president. Um, He's also said that he needs to be held accountable. and he also today said that he felt that the, the Senate could handle advancing his agenda and prosecuting a trial, assuming that it happened after inauguration, at the same time. In other words, he welcomed parallel processing on that, which some um, uh, on the Hill had sort of been downplaying. So, it, it, you know, it looks like there's a kind of a coalescing. I think the number of Democrats who are now uh, signed on to support this in the House is is 218, uh, and and there are several senators who have said very strong things, Romney and Murkowski and others, um, about Trump. So, what do you think is the right next step? And and in particular, there's also this this little uh, Philip about um, conducting this in such a way that the President of the United States doesn't have the ability to run for office again
5: yeah no, no. i I'm in complete agreement um with my friends here. Uh, i think I think that it's irrelevant that Trump is going to leave, and this even in the most optimistic case for Democrats would result in him leaving, you know, twelve seconds clear or something. i think I think that we're this is about shoring up battered norms. This is about, making a really clear statement. This is about laying it down a marker for history. This is about trying to minimize the likelihood that Trump out of office can run again or continue to make trouble in various other ways. This is about forcing members of Congress as well as people like Mike Pence to sort of show us where they stand um, so that we know kind of once and for all, you know, if this wasn't going too far for you, Nothing really would be, um, and you know it's the right thing to do for non-instrumental reasons. I think it is also the right thing to do for instrumental reasons. And and you know if the American, if the Senate, if the House and the Senate are not capable of eating and chewing gum at the same time, then you know we've got we've got bigger problems, and we, we probably do have bigger problems actually. But but yeah, there's this 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 isn't. I don't think this is in any way inconsistent with allowing Biden, once inaugurated, to get a rapid start in, in a very aggressive way on his own legislative agenda. Which obviously there are all kinds of urgent issues facing the new Biden administration, um, but this is one of them. You know, this 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 is this is responding to a president who incited an insurrection that, if successful, would have prevented Biden from taking office. You know, what could be more urgent than laying down a marker that says that was not okay
2: well what about mika the other people who were involved in it i'm not talking about the ones who get rounded up and you know uh the fbi is tracking down um what about senator hawley senator cruz today uh the day we're recording this the president of the united states gave the presidential medal of freedom to jim jordan i mean which if 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 giving it to Rush Limbaugh and Devin Nunez doesn't devalue it altogether, this we're, we're now done. But um, there are a lot of people who are involved in this. There are people who are still involved in it. You know, Secretary Pompeo um, not only went out of his way on Friday night to say the Trump administration's been great and you know there, there's a lot of support for things that they've done, but since this insurrection publicly embraced representative bobert who is this uh sort of QAnon gun loving woman who sat there tweeting the location of the speaker of the house during the onslaught and pompeo thought hey this is a good idea to support that so there are a lot of people matt Getz is another there are a lot of people out there who are sort of still fanning the flames still defending this thing how, how should all those people be treated
3: so i think that there's a bunch of different levels on which those people will see consequences one is we've already started seeing their donors walk away from them and say this was a bridge too far and corporations and traditional republican donors saying violent overthrow of the united states is not something that i signed up for and so i expect that they will pay a price for that um in their fundraising and their ability to run again. Um, I think the real question is whether or not there's a wake up moment for any of those people. But for anyone who's ever filled out a security clearance form, one of the questions that you are asked is, have you ever supported a group that has called for the violent overthrow of the United States? And that is a disqualifying question from a national security perspective. Members of Congress who are unable to say that they will not join, have not joined, will not provide material support, aid and comfort to those groups, I think that there is a serious question, both for the Biden administration, but also for Speaker Pelosi, about whether or not those members should be seated on national security committees or be granted access to classified information. Mm-hmm. Because everyone else who has to sign those forms says that that they reject violent insurrection. Um, and I think that that's a serious question that we have to ask about our security. When we ask people to protect us, what are we protecting us from? And then the third thing that I think we really have to beef up, and I'm sort of heartened at the uh, naming of Merrick Garland to this, is a reinvigoration of uh, an understanding of the threat of domestic extremism inside the United States and the Republican members of Congress have been a consistent force to try and undermine Homeland Security and other intelligence agencies ability to understand what right-wing violent extremist groups were doing inside the United States. And it is very clear that the consequences for failing to do that left us blind and led us to a very dangerous situation. And we cannot afford to have that happen because it wasn't just in the Capitol. There were violent protests all over the country and, and there were, seems like, police officers all over the country. And I think we have to ask, are we under threat here at home?
2: There's a lot of other things I'd like to cover here, but we, you know, as we always do, we've got a limited amount of time. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to switch around the order of the questions a little bit, because I did want to get to uh, a, a discussion about the what would have been the big story of the past couple of weeks, which is this uh, hack of our our government, um, by foreign likely Russians, uh, uh, attackers, um, which has been completely subsumed in this, in this news, just like having 4,000 people die every day of COVID has been completely subsumed by this news. Um, but, but I would like to talk a little bit about some of the other things that are going on. And so let me go to Rosa and Corey, and then I want to come back, um, to Mika and David and talk a little bit about the hack, but, um, Rosa, we're in the midst of, uh, Government appointments to the Biden administration. Um, how are we doing?
5: Well, it's all relative, David. Um, I think that the Biden nominations thus far, or the, the designations, um, have virtually, without exception, been people who are well qualified, impressive individuals with a you know distinguished record of public service. So and and you know compared to the Trump administration, quite frankly, Biden could nominate a pebble, and I would be pretty happy. Um, that being said, I'm I'm honestly feeling somewhat disappointed that particularly in the national security arena, uh, we have not seen more diversity, more gender diversity, more racial diversity uh, in in Biden's picks. Um, um, I was one of the co-founders of the Leadership Council for Women and National Security, both, both Corey and Mika here are, are also involved with that organization. We had asked all of the uh, presidential candidates to pledge to seek gender parity in their senior national security appointments and both uh, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris both, both made that commitment. But on the national security side, unlike the domestic side, we really have not seen uh, we certainly have not seen gender parity in the most senior appointments. We've we've seen we've seen a couple of women uh, uh, who will be nominated for senior positions: Avril Haines for uh, director of national intelligence, and Linda Greenfield Thomas um, for ambassador to the UN. But aside from that, uh, that's that's really been about it so far. And and in terms of African Americans, Asian Americans, uh, uh, other groups, we have seen pretty much nothing. And and I think that. Today's news that uh, Bill Burns would be Biden's nominee for CIA director. Um, Bill Burns, you know, all, all respect to him. Uh, he's a qualified public servant uh, with a distinguished record, but there are a lot of women who are also qualified public servants with distinguished records and a lot of African Americans. And, and I, I wish we were seeing more of that. And it's a bit of a disappointment. I think this was a real opportunity. Uh, and I think the appointments fall a little bit short in the national security arena.
2: What do you think, Corey?
0: I am disappointed that that the Biden administration chose to violate the norm of not appointing a recently retired military officer to be secretary of defense, um, and are justifying that decision on the basis of his ethnicity, and that you can't touch him because uh, because it's important to have diversity in our top ranks, and yet they didn't carry it through on the very many other elements of diversity that Rosa mentioned.
2: I'm just before I go into this next thing, Mika, because you were part of this thing, I'd like you to have your chance to have a voice in it. There has also been uh, uh, some comment on the fact that there were no senior uh, Asian Americans in the cabinet.
3: Yeah, I mean, we've seen both Catherine Tai and Nira Tandon appointed to senior positions, um, and that's great. They're both, you know, very prominent people. And, you know, that's not nothing, but it is the first time in a long time that we haven't had an Asian American cabinet secretary. Um, and I know that there are people who are concerned about that. I, it's a tough balancing job that the Biden administration has to do in putting together a team that looks like America. Um, and I think that that for someone who has had as long a record in politics as Biden has had, he's built up certain kinds of relationships. And so it seems like he did not have a bunch of natural people to go to, um, to pull into some of those jobs, which you know is, I think, not what a lot of us had hoped for. I am hopeful that they still have a lot more political appointees left to name, and that a lot of those political appointees will be the next generation of people to lead this country and be eligible for those positions. And I'm hopeful that they will be um, much more diverse in that group of folks um, so that, you know, a future president or maybe even later on this president will have a lot more people to choose from um, who represent a lot more variation of what kinds of Americans there are out there.
2: Yeah, I want to say, by the way, and I'm now going to make the extremely uh, dangerous uh, uh, decision to put words in Rosa, Corey, and and Mika's mouth. Um, Although, you know, it works, I guess, given my gender, but I don't think anybody's saying that this is not an ex- vastly more diverse and balanced group than than we've seen, you know, from Trump, for example, or that we've seen recently. Uh, it's just that there are ways it could have been done better. Um, and I, And I would say, you know, there are some little pockets where you see a little bit of a different kind of progress. I, I noticed, because I, I look at this kind of thing, that the NSC staff, um, while homogenous in some ways and where it came from, was somewhat younger, and I do see a little bit of a generational shift going on, and I think that's a that's a healthy thing, too. Um, let me shift the discussion a bit here, um, uh, David. Uh, th- th- I'm troubled by you know the the fact that what's happened this week is troubling, but also by the fact that it's pushed other things out of our attention. We're going to do a whole podcast later in the week with uh, Lori Garrett and Kavita Patel on COVID and where all that is. Um, But I note that this uh, hack um, is just pushed entirely from the front pages, but every time it like peeps up above the, 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 you know, our sight lines uh, it's somebody saying, this is gigantic. It's a really big deal. (laughs) Um, We're not going to know how big it is for a long time. It's got huge, national security consequences. Uh, and so I didn't want it to, you know, to sink beneath the waves. What, what, what's your sense of the state of our knowledge of it right now?
4: Well, our, our best placement of the sense of where we are was actually in one very large front page story uh, in the <laughs> Sunday before, before last, but it was also three days before the assault on the Capitol. So that seems like it's about five years ago. Uh, but we have devoted a lot of time and space, and I think a lot of front page coverage to it, but I can understand. Well, I'm, right? I'm
2: not criticizing yeah. you guys for not no, no, covering no. it. I'm considering, um, my worry is it's not reaching people, right?
4: I, I think that's right. I'm sure it's not sinking in. Uh, and part it's not sinking in because it's a, you know, cyber in general um, is something where it's very hard to go demonstrate the damage. I mean, I can walk TV cameras through the middle of the Capitol and do what Pelosi did on 60 Minutes the other night and show you broken windows and busted down doors and all that. But if the Russians place a backdoor into the State Department or the Commerce Department or the Defense Department systems, there's no way for most people to see it. And it's hard for most people to understand what the potential is of it. So at this point on the hack, we're down to sort of three big questions. One, how did they do it? How did they get into the supply chain? Um, Was there an insider who helped them get this code into SolarWinds or into one of the products that are used to build SolarWinds? Number two, how have the Russians used this? The intelligence community turned out a statement last week that said that right now it looks just like an intelligence gathering operation. Well, thank you, every single destructive cyber attack starts with an intelligence gathering operation, including the one the United States and Israel did on Iran's nuclear centrifuges. You spend months gathering information and then you turn it around to do something destructive. We don't know if we have just seen phase one of what the Russians have done or whether this is the whole thing. And then the third big question is, What do you do if you're Joe Biden and you're coming in taking over a government that is not only racked to pieces by the awful events we were discussing earlier, but also may be running on networks whose security you cannot trust? Do you burn those networks down and rebuild them? Can you do that when people are reliant on communicating with each other? Or have the Russians accomplished in the governmental field what they tried four years ago to do in the electoral field, which is make us just nervous enough about the security of these systems that we distrust our own infrastructure.
2: So these are really important questions. It's a really important issue. And that's why I was so glad to hear that Mika was actually setting up her own podcast um, (laughs) to be, to be, to be looking at these things. And so Mika, you can respond to what David said, um, but don't do it, um, without also describing what your project is.
3: Yeah, so I, I agree with David. It, these things are very hard to explain to people as to what the potential damage is and um, I, every time I see one of these stories, I feel so ter- the ter- terrible sense of weight about exactly how much work is going to have to be done to recover from this, both in terms of understanding the system damage, but also in formulating an appropriate response to the Russians. Um, but it's really hard because, as David says, the, it's not visible to people what the changes are to the network. It's like changes in line of code. And even in the things that they do, it may be that like you can't log on to something. It's all very abstract to people. And it's often you know, it's ones and zeros. It's transiting um, networks. It's, it's very hard to understand. And we often lose sight of the fact that there are human beings both affected by this, but also on the other side of the attack. And so um, I have made a new podcast, which I hope David gets a chance to listen to at one point, um, called "To Catch a Hacker," which is a narrative cyber a series about cybercrime, where we take one particular cyber incident. Um, in this case, we take the ransomware attack on Donald Trump's inauguration four years ago, uh, when they knocked out the security cameras around the U.S. Capitol, which this week seems like a very terrifying thing to be able to do via cyber um, and follow along the hunt for the investigation into the people who did that and the attempt to bring those people to justice. So we will be dropping episode two tomorrow. Episode one is out already, Um, but I produced it with Goat Rodeo, who I know David has worked with previously and the lawfare folks have worked with previously. Um, We have had as of before the attack on the Capitol, 36,000 people listened to it, which is pretty good for a first-time podcast. Um, but yeah, it's um, it was a fun thing to make, and we want to try and make the story more understandable to people.
0: That's so, great, my friend. Well done. Thank
3: you. Thank you. It's a little bit like CSI the Internet.
2: <laughs> no, it's, it's really good. It's a really good format. Again, what's the name?
3: To Catch a Hacker.
2: To catch a hacker, so I, um, I, I wish somebody had told me
4: that, and I could have like you know stolen it for some other purposes. It's so good.
3: <laughs> David, we are happy to collaborate with you. If you okay. have a good story of the hunt for a particular malicious bad guy, to tell that story through the podcast. Have you know, a
0: secret weapon. There are about four hundred of such stories in it
2: yeah yeah no no, that's true i'm looking forward to the serialization of the perfect weapon with you know somebody one of uh you know hollywood's greats playing Sanger, and then tracking down each one of these uh these these great world-threatening crimes (laughs) um probably one of the Hemsworth brothers. I, I, I was about brothers. to say,
4: were you about to nominate Danny DeVito for this role? <laughs> <laughs> um, I know,
3: loyal <laughs> listeners, tell us who should play David Sanger in the <laughs> movie version of this.
2: Yeah, I yes, this is, please, this please. Is why
4: we, This is why we did the Perfect Weapon as a documentary, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, in we have two minutes left, thirty seconds from each of you. Given what's happened in the past week. Pick a, pick a pick a fear of what's coming next, something we should be prepared for, Rosa. Uh,
5: I am, because I wear the thorny crown of entropy, I'm still a little bit worried about the fact that Donald Trump remains in office and still, technically speaking, has unilateral launch authority for nuclear weapons. Um, I sort of think and hope that everyone in the military chain of command recognizes that he is an absolute loon and will not be too quick to pay any attention if he tries to do so. That's a slightly depressing thing to wish for, um, needless to say, and could be subject to a much longer discussion, but but that's my most paranoid fear in terms of the really horrific things that could happen. I don't think it's likely. I think it's unlikely, but I also don't think that we can afford to completely just shrug ourselves and say, oh, that's never gonna happen. As I said before, uh, all the things you think could never happen, all of them could happen. Hopefully they won't. Corey?
0: My fear is that the rabid mob of Trump supporters who broke into the Capitol uh, will try and disrupt the inauguration. Uh, And the prevention of such disruption will require such heavy militarization uh, that it will be a sad, depressing spectacle for what should be a very joyful start to a better administration than we have had these last four years.
4: Excellent, David? Well, as you know, the the usual rule on this broadcast is that anything that Corey says has happened before you actually release the broadcast. And so Mm -hmm. just as as we were getting on to to tape this, they announced that 10,000 National Guard troops will be used to protect the capital starting this weekend and through the inauguration, which means it will be an armed camp during the inauguration. And what I worry about is not so much that they'll be disruptive. I think, you know, with 10,000 troops, they're going to have a hard time, but that the noise of that, the the imagery of that around the world is actually going to um, drown out the message that, uh, Biden would want us to do as he tries to launch the country in a new, new direction.
5: Although just, just, to, just to contextualize this, um, every inauguration, every recent inauguration has had a massive presence, National Guard uh, and active duty military, as well as uh, assistance from law enforcement organizations around the country, which is, is also why I'm not as concerned about the inauguration, that this is a huge interagency process. It always involves literally thousands of law enforcement, National Guard troops uh, from all around the country. And it's been uh, the planning has been in the works for many, many, many months already. Um, So so some of that, I think, is I mean, it may be perceived that way. It may be read that way. But some of that is just that is the norm for organizations where I'm sorry, the norm for inauguration, where well before this, obviously, everyone had to assume that the inauguration of Donald Trump, the inauguration of Barack Obama, et cetera would be prime uh, terrorist targets, et cetera.
2: Yeah, and this time they're going to fit into the crowd by wearing uh, buffalo headdresses and painting their faces. Um, Mika, fear.
3: So while we have been sitting on this podcast, the FBI sent out a notice that they are preparing for armed protests at all 50 state capitals. And we know that a number of those states allow open carry. I am worried that it is not just the inauguration, but there will be armed protests throughout this country um, and that there will be bloodshed and chaos and loss of life and a real sense of fear um, in what should be a moment of hope and you know, a, a new morning for America.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, each of your individual worries are now the collective worries of all of our listeners and, and me. Um, and, uh, I think they're all things that we need to keep an eye out for, uh, these are tough, complicated, um, emotionally draining times and the ability to be able to discuss them with you guys each week is, uh, enormously, um, enormously helpful. I think to the entire audience, I know to me. So I thank you for that later in the week. We're going to, uh, do, as I said, one show that's looking at where COVID is right now. We're going to also start doing look backs at um, the Trump era. That will be one looking at political issues during the Trump era. And then our usual Thursday show will examine some of the legal issues that are coming up out of this uh, impeachment, which will have taken place likely on Wednesday. Uh, So there's much to look forward to. Go to the DSRnetwork.com for more on those podcasts uh, and other things we've got planned. You can find Mika's new podcast. Um, It takes to catch a hacker. Is that it? To catch a a
3: hacker? Yes.
2: To catch a hacker, uh, wherever fine podcasts are sold uh, or given away for free. And you should try that out. And um, we'll see you all again here next week. Thank you, Rosa. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, David. Thank you, Mika. Uh, Thanks to everybody for listening and stay healthy. Bye bye.